0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit audio bandwidth for security now is provided by winamp subscribe to security now and all your favorite podcasts with the ultimate media player Download it for free at winamp.com. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. You'll find all the Twitch shows on your Roku box, Android and BlackBerry phones and all Yahoo Widget TVs powered by MediaFly. For more information, visit twit.tv slash MediaFly. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 269, recorded October 6th, 2010. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 102. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro.com and the Astaro Security Gateway. Try one in your business by calling 877-4-ASTARO or visiting them online at Astaro.com. And by... GoToMeeting, the affordable way to meet with clients and colleagues. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMeeting.com slash now. And by MailRoute, the ultimate in spam filtering. Protect your domain and save 10% for the life of your account by visiting MailRoute.info today. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security online, your privacy online, and who better to do that and our good friend, our mentor, our security guru, Mr. Steve Gibson from GRC.com. Creator of hey, Rights. Leo. Hey, Steve. How are you today? Great. Great to be with you again, as always. So today, I think
1: we have, a, if I'm correct, we are we are mod one. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? We, we are odd parody today. It's our Q&A number 102. Yikes. So we've got some great Yeah, we great had, uh, as you can imagine from last week's episode where we talked about this very troubling potential new legislation that 's being pushed uh. on Congress by the FBI and apparently with the support of our current Obama administration, a huge amount of response um, i 've tempered it to I selected three out of literally hundreds of responses which turn out to be sort of representative of of the of the different things everyone was saying, so I wanted to acknowledge everyone who wrote and to thank you for that and um and so about midway through today's q a uh we've got those three people who were pretty much representative of what everyone had to say not much in the way of updates uh and actually not much in the way of news so uh we but i think we're gonna have have a bunch of interesting uh observations from uh listeners and questions
0: i can't wait to hear now the good news was that the uh the um The piracy initiative, COICA, was dropped, was tabled. So, yeah, that that at least we don't have to worry about until next time (laughs) because this is not. They're going to bring this up. The recording industry is going to bring this back every single session until they have a until they have a positive Congress. Uh, But this other one, uh, you know, the Obama administration and the FBI said they would bring this to Congress in January. So,
1: well, when it reconvenes after the midterm elections, and and I'm. We'll talk about this in the middle of our Q and A, but you know, many people have just said, "Oh, don't worry about it; it'll never pass." And it's like, eh, you know, folks, you you mentioned terrorism, and and the the problem is the FBI is not wrong about this being a problem. I mean, this is a problem. I mean, the as we discussed yesterday or last week, it's it's a viable issue that. That they can make. And we have had troubling legislation like the DMCA pass, which really causes trouble. So I'm, you know, I'm less sanguine about this not being a problem going forward. So we'll see.
0: Well, one way or another, you got to pay attention to it. I've learned never assume that something you think couldn't happen won't. Yeah. I mean, I never thought we'd elect a movie star president. (laughs) And so there you go uh before we get into this subject uh or a movie star governor for that matter there you go yeah pretty soon we'll have a movie star president of the internet maybe before before nobody will nobody will know or care about him nobody yeah (laughs) did you know that i am the president of the internet
1: you didn't know that, did you? I'm glad I am glad I know you. Duly elected <laughs> by a vote of about 1,000 fa- people who, who heard about it. <laughs> Apparently nobody there at the Twit Cottage voted for you. Though.
0: No, no, no. They're, they're a know me, upset from yesterday. They know me far too well to vote for me. Yeah.
1: Hey, before we go much
0: farther, I do want to talk about our good friends at Astaro Corporation. They have been such a great supporter of this show since day one. Yep. Uh, they were our first sponsor on the Twit Network, first sponsor on Security Now, and they're still with us and still... Making the best UTM on the market today, and I could say that with absolute confidence it's it's a unified threat management box, basically think of it as a gateway between your business and the internet that protects you. It is a barrier, a wall not and not just a firewall, of course it's a firewall so it's a state of the art firewall with all the buzzwords you know stateful packet inspection and all that stuff, but you also have intrusion protection, content filtering, which nowadays I think is probably the most important thing to do to protect you i mean it will filter not only keep you know your employees from visiting inappropriate websites or using peer-to-peer networking or uh, file sharing or uh, instant messaging should you choose but it scans websites and email for viruses and threats so that they can't even you know accidentally surf to a site that has threats on it there are three different antiviruses continually updated in this two for uh, email one for the web um They've, I mean, I could just, the, the, the features in this thing are fantastic. And a lot of uh, convenience features, too. Things like uh, VPN through SSL using all the, you know, protocols you might want. IPsec, L2TP over IPsec, PPTP tunneling. Uh, you get uh, great email uh, encryption, decryption, automatic signing and verification. Again, using standards like S MIME and OpenPGP. So you could turn that on for your enterprise, and man, you know, you are, you are secured. Uh, I just think this is a fantastic box, and it scales with your business. They have a uh, their own brand of active, they call it active-active clustering that does load distribution for up to 10 Astaro Security Gateways, so without additional load balancing. So you as you grow, so does your protection. Do me a favor, do yourself a favor, try this free in your business, Call 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O, 877, the number 4, Astaro, or visit them online at astaro.com. And because this is a lot of open source software, they do offer a free version for non-commercial use. You can download from the site, astaro, astaro.com slash security now. And uh, or you can go to VMware. You know, if you use VMware, there's a VMware appliance with the full Astaro suite on it. And just recently, they added a free subscription to Astaro up to date. So that you get all the updates too on your non-commercial version, I think it's fantastic. But in a business, best way to do it: get the uh, unit. You don't need to build a beige box on your own and put the software on it. Just call eight seven seven the number four two seven eight two seven six toll free eight seven seven the number four Astaro, and try the Astaro Security Gateway in your business. I think you'll be very happy you did. So before we get to questions, and I know I'm sure we have some great ones, do you have anything you want to talk about, Mr. Gibson?
1: Well, we have some updates and some news, uh, actually very few and not much of, of of either. But as Adobe promised, due to the fact that they had that very bad buffer overflow vulnerability, why does that surprise anybody? Uh, a zero day for which has been known for about three weeks, as we know, last week, they pushed out a quick fix to their Flash Player, which was one of the ways that this was causing problems. Um, this week on Tuesday, the fifth, they they pushed a week ahead of their normal quarterly patch cycle. Normally, they're you know they've said that they're only going to be patching on the second Tuesday of the month every three months. So quarterly, um, Reader and Acrobat versions 9.34 and earlier have now been brought up to date a week ahead of time so this fixes the zero day vulnerability that had been actively exploited in targeted attacks since it was discovered in the wild um, so uh, and I'm seeing here that I've got a um, I have acrobat installed on this system. And so I'm seeing that's it got a little red icon on my tray saying, "Okay, update me, update me." So I did notice that it said it's going to have to do a restart. So it's like, "Okay, well, I'm not doing it now during the podcast, or sure, or yeah. just just before the podcast." Do, I do learned, like Leo
0: does. Yeah, learn, learn, learn <laughs> that lesson from me.
1: <laughs> and then I just wanted to mention that Google chrome continues to quietly move itself forward the news that i saw was it had gone to six point zero point four seven two dot six two and when i thought oh i wonder if that's what i have mine had already moved to six three so it's creeping forward uh, in the move to 6.2, I know that they fixed two remote code execution vulnerabilities, one involving uh, scalable vector graphics, SVG, which is uh, one of the newer technologies, and they're experimenting with a a protocol to replace HTTP called SPEEDY. Um, the, the letters are S-P-D-Y. So this is sort of an experimental protocol. They're Essentially, many things have changed on the way the web works since even HTTP uh, was developed and even moved from 1.0 to 1.1. There are, you know, there's like problems like, yes, you can slipstream or, or um, uh, uh, I don't mean slipstream, you can... You can issue quests in, uh, requests sequentially ahead of time in a pipeline, pipeline is the word I was looking for, and get the responses back. But many things are redundant, like the browser headers are like being resent over and over and over with every query. And queries are small... Relative to the browser headers that are often you know, much larger even than the thing you're asking for is all this metadata that no one ever sees. And it's highly repetitive and it's uncompressed. And so Google is sort of leading the way in looking at what can be done here to... To make web interaction better. Of course, they've got a, st- a strong motivation for doing so because their whole model is a, is a web-centric model, which, frankly, I'm, I'm finding myself more and more a fan of. This idea that, you know, apps are going to be in the cloud, data is going to be in the cloud, and we'll be using lighter weight clients To access our our apps and our data remotely, and updates
0: will be in the cloud, which is the main
1: point, right? They'll just be transparent. They're automatic. Yeah. Yes. um, The um, the problem, of course, is the bad guys will be in the cloud too. (laughs) Oh,
0: of course. So,
1: (laughs) so, you know, there's the whole question of data integrity and safety and all that stuff, which is no small issue. You know, I'm uh, I'll go kicking and screaming into the cloud. I. I like to have my data here and to move it around between devices. But I have to say, as I'm using things, um, for example, LastPass, uh, we talked about it, of course, several episodes ago. I should mention that I'm just loving it. I mean, I'm, I'm really liking it. And the fact, for example, that I can change a login username and password on one system and then... Realize when I'm using my iPad, for example, it's like, oh shoot, I changed that, didn't I? Mm. And I go, oh wait a minute, I've got LastPass, mm. and so it's maintaining synchronization among great? all my instances. I, I mean, it's that. it really is working, and I've had a lot of very positive feedback from our listeners, also in our in our um, Security Now feedback mailbag about how much they're enjoying LastPass. So. That's that's been a win, and so there's a perfect example of a of a cloud based app that I think makes a lot of sense. And of course, it's cloud and local because
0: the storage is local. So it's a nice, it's a great mix. They've solved some of the things that you talked about, availability and right. uh, and issues of you know my data being somewhere else um, by Mick by a hybrid solution that works works well.
1: Right, and so it exactly if you're disconnected. Well, on the other hand, if you're disconnected, it's not clear. Well, you what, can't do it. What you're going to be logging into, right. but uh, but yes, it's certainly good to have it stored locally as well. If, you know, if if they happen to be down briefly, that would be a a, right. a big problem for everyone using right. it. Right. So anyway, so Acrobat Reader updated. Chrome is sort of just sort of taking care of itself. And and frankly, as I as I look at Chrome doing this, and I was thinking about this this morning, it's like you know that's not. Such a bad thing, just to have it not making a big deal about updates, just having it doing it right. in the background, right. so that it's fixing itself for you. I think IE nine is going to do
0: that too. And there, you
1: know, people get upset about the idea; they they don't like the loss of control that that represents. Yeah, I know. Especially, well, especially when it's like rebooting your machine without your knowledge or permission or making other big changes. It's one thing for it to just sort of like, I mean, Chrome behaves itself very well. When you fire it up, it's already updated. It's like, oh, okay. That's, you know, it's really not ever telling you you need to reboot your system. So. You yeah, can't do that with an OS, though. No. Yeah. Um, RIM, uh, our famous BlackBerry publishers, are going round and round with India. They have just succeeded in giving India so-called manual access to the BlackBerry Messenger data, meaning that if if specific entities that are authorized to do so in India ask for audit trails, essentially, of of BlackBerry Messenger dialogue within four to five hours after making that request— BlackBerry is now able to provide those entities with paper printouts of messenger text. Then they're promising what they're calling fully automated real-time access to the same data by the start of 2011, so the start of next year. The problem is RIM continues to assert their, their technological architectural limitation relative to email Email is different than messenger and email is enjoys point to point encryption where RIMS technology just simply doesn't let them provide what India wants. So it's not clear what's going to happen with that. I mean, there are it's been mentioned that alternative phone systems, for example, like the iPhone, don't use the same kind of of. Certificate-based point-to-point encryption, which literally—I mean, there's nothing Rim can do. They—they're saying the architecture doesn't permit any sort of a man-in-the-middle decryption. So um, we're going to wait to see what happens. And India is still saying that they're on the verge of of approaching Google and Skype and saying, "You guys are next. We, you know, we wow. need to have access." Yeah, well, this is very similar to what's going on in the states. It's very exactly. In fact, I think it, very, it
0: inspired it.
1: Well, yeah, in, in the in FBI fact, said, yes. "Well,
0: <laughs> if Andy gets it, we want it."
1: Yes, I did read uh, in in preparing the the podcast last week, preparing the, the 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 production of that. There were some comments where people were feeling that behind the scenes, the you know the three letter acronym agencies here in the U.S. were. Looking at what other countries were getting, the concessions that they were getting, saying, hey, uh, those look pretty good. Yeah. We'd like some of that too. Yeah. And of course, we do it here by writing a law and enacting it in Congress. So, yeah. Yeah. and then having uh, the Obama administration sign it. So, um, my last note of news is that Comcast, that has been testing in limited geographic markets so far, a Automated proactive bot notification system is now taking it nationwide. Comcast is the largest US residential ISP. And they've got something on, on their they have they have a, a sort of an umbrella called Constant Guard, which is their service. Uh there's a page constantguard.comcast.net, where They sort of talk about the different services that fall within this Constant Guard umbrella. Under proactive bot notification, that page says, as a new feature of the Constant Guard service, we may email a, quote, service notice, unquote, to your Comcast email address if we believe a computer behind your cable modem may be infected with a type of virus called a bot a bot is a malicious form of software that could use your computer to send spam, host a phishing site, or steal your identity by monitoring your keystrokes. The email will advise you to go to the Comcast Constant Guard Center at http colon slash slash constant dot comcast dot net where you can access resources to help you remove the bot from your computer. The service email will look like this. And then that page gives you a sample, which I think is smart because, you know, they're wanting to to help uh, help you recognize it when, when you receive it and help you, you know, take it for, uh, I mean, treat it as authentic email. And it says, Dear Comcast customer, the Constant Guard trademarked service has identified that one or more of your computers may be infected with a bot. Please read on. A bot, also referred to as malicious software or malware, is used to gain control of your computer, typically without your knowledge. Online criminals can use bots to collect your personal and private data, such as social security numbers, bank account information, and or credit card numbers by monitoring your keystrokes. This can lead to identity theft and and fraud. And then lower down on that page uh, about virus bot information, it explains that according to the National Cybersecurity Alliance, bots are the Internet's fastest-growing cybercrime, and 71% of consumers don't even know what bots are and what they can do about them. Comcast wants to help its customers stay educated, informed, and safe online. A bot is a type of virus. ...that allows an attacker to force your computer to perform actions, usually without your knowledge. Once a bot is in control of your computer, it can be used to send spam, host phishing sites, or infect other computers. Online thieves use bots to collect personal data, such as social security numbers, bank account information, credit card numbers, etc. When this personal data is collected without your permission, it's often used to steal your identity withdraw money from your bank accounts and make fraudulent purchases on your credit cards. So I think this is fantastic. Um, I mean, this kind of, yeah, yeah. This kind of, first of all, two things. The, the fact that they've, they've now rolling out automated detection of bot infection for their customer base is great. But from an educational standpoint, the fact that that people who are infected will be proactively notified and begin this education. I mean, th- this is the kind of stuff we really want people who are infected to be to be informed about and to take seriously. So this is just this is wonderful news. You can't see anything wrong with anything they said. Sounds all sounds all right. and Sounds all well, good. yes. It it does. And again, I mean, the reason I, I wanted to spend a little time on it is that this this is just That's great. this is really proactive and, and great news. I, I guess, you know, one of the reasons Comcast is, I
0: think, the largest Internet service provider in the U.S. Uh, yep. with, with millions and millions of customers. So it's important that they do this from the point of view of everybody else because they're protecting the rest of the net from their customers who are a prime target. But one of the reasons they haven't do, done this in the past, in fact, remember they were reluctant to block port 25 uh, outbound, SM, outbound SMTP, which was used for e- spam forwarding, is because of the cost to them in tech support calls. All the yep. people galling, going, huh ah, and I know because I answer these calls on the radio.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> it's, it's literally millions and millions of dollars. So a pat on the back to, to Comcast for biting the bullet and doing what they really need to do. Yeah, and
1: essentially cleaning up their own network that way, too.
0: I think we've said, uh, certainly I've said it many times, that that if we wanted to stop spam, clean up the networks, the first place to start is ISPs. If ISPs implement
1: these kinds of policies and block this kind of stuff, it stops. Well, and they're in a perfect place to do it. They're, They're at a point where... All of their customers' traffic is focused down into one center. If they deploy the technology which they have to to do some behavior profiling, to look at the the kind of traffic coming from individual customers, it's very clear when there is a bot on someone's machine. There is specific behavior, specific, you know, easily identifiable activity. Now, of course... There will be a reaction on the bot manufacturers or the bot makers that the fact that this kind of profiling is happening will cause them to change the bots such that they don't they don't show up on the radar um as much as they do right now because there haven't been this kind of profiling there's been you know no need for them to pretend to be more legitimate so unfortunately they can do that so it'll be a back and forth but this is it's a you know comcast can follow that too and and continue to um to 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 move that um bar forward so i think it's great they're doing it and i love it from a consumer education standpoint it's just really good news yeah and i did have and this is a different sort of uh, uh, testimonial, sort of a little sideways, uh, was the subject. Was Spinrite a claim? Although it's a little different than the 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 well, like like I said, the type of email I normally read. It says a few weeks ago, my Mac Mini claimed it could not log me on. Nothing I could find at Apple.com could help, and I realized I had moved my home folder to an external USB 2.0 hard drive. Along with my home folder, I had my entire iTunes collection on that drive. It was immediately obvious that, I, that the external hard drive had a problem. In iTunes, I, had, I not only had thousands of music files, but also lots of purchased TV shows and full-feature movies. I use this mini only for iTunes, so I moved this hard drive to a PC and could still not access the iTunes library. I thought I was going to be ill after realizing the impact of losing all that data. But I decided to spring for a license for Spinrite. I went through the purchase and downloaded the software and set to work on another spare PC. I had heard it could take days for the defects to be repaired. Well, after three days, the progress was stuck at 0.05%. I figured I was screwed. I at least expected some progress, but I stopped the process. Desperate, I went to the GRC.com newsgroups to read about this. I saw that external drives usually took an extremely long time to be processed and that users should attach the hard drive inside the external drive directly to a motherboard if possible. So I sacrificed the drive enclosure It wasn't exactly user serviceable and took the hard drive out, placing it inside a spare PC and started Spinrite again. In less than four hours, it had completed the pass, reporting that four errors could not be repaired. Unfortunately, those were areas I needed. So I ran Spinrite a couple more times and eventually there were no errors. I have my iTunes library back! Wow! Excla- exclamation point. Now back it up. <laughs> I he says I quickly moved everything to a NAS server I have at home, a network attached storage server. Now I'm a believer, and will be using Spinrite regularly to maintain my drives. Thank you, all caps, Bobby Irvin in Rogers, Arkansas. But but I I, I want to say something to
0: Bobby. Because he said something that makes me nervous. He moved everything to the NAS. Like, that's uh-huh. safe. One copy of anything, I don't care if it's uh, if it's, uh, RAID 5, which is better than a regular hard drive, is still only, it's not a backup. It's one copy. Right, Steve? Yep. Back me up here. So you need two copies, maybe three copies, but not one copy. And just because, you know, sometimes I think people say, well, I backed it up to the uh, a hard drive, so I've deleted it on the main drive, like they're uh-huh. backed up. Well, how is that better? right so putting it on an NASA is marginally better I guess if it's if it's raid five but I've had enough raid 5 failures in my life to not not think that that's sufficient make another backup one more at least all right let's take a break when we come back we've got nine questions including uh, a 16 year old who is this week's up oh. Comer. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we want to encourage the 16-year-olds, I'll tell you. Uh, but I, before we do that, I want to mention our friends at Citrix, the makers of the great go-to-meeting software, the affordable way to meet with clients and colleagues. You know, business trips are expensive. We, we do them. We have to do them from time to time. I'm going to Blog World uh, next week, going to Paris for a conference. I mean, some, you know, sometimes you have to do that. But how many times, in fact, lately I've been doing this a lot more, are, are we doing things Online, I'm even I'm even speaking online, and that's where GoToMeeting is just such a great tool. Save your co- the average cost of a business trip is one thousand dollars. I could tell you that's not the average cost of my business trip It's about one quarter. <laughs> I mean, because I got to bring staff, I got to spend. time. I mean, it's expensive. So have your meetings online for just forty nine dollars a month, all the meetings you want as long as you want. Forty nine dollars is five percent of the cost of one business trip. And it's so easy to use. You start go to meeting with a, s- a single click. Your your meetees, your clients and colleagues don't have to have a copy installed. They can get it. You, you just send them an invitation. They click the link and they'll have it. Thirty seconds. They're ready to meet with you. Everyone sees your desktop on their screen. They could follow along with you as you move through pages or applications or give them a presentation. It includes voice over IP and phone conferencing. And they can give they could take control. You know, too, so they can show you what they've got. It's an award-winning service. It's 128-bit SSL encrypted. It's great for sales presentations, product demos, training sessions, collaboration, and to replace most business trips and save you lots of money. Try it free right now. Talk about saving lots of money. We've got a new coupon code. I want you to go to the website, gotomeeting.com slash now. We decided security now it was too long. Gotomeeting.com slash now. Give it a try today. I think you'll like it. Go to meeting from the great folks It's Citrix. We thank them so much for supporting us, and we invite you to try it. You know, there are, you know, I know there's other choices. And go ahead and try them. I know you're going to come back to go to meeting. It's just the best. All right, Steve, I've got questions. Great. Do you have answers? We'll find yeah. out. Presumably, <laughs> since you chose the questions. you do. Question one comes from Gary in the Motor City, Detroit. He mourns the end of the PayPal plugin, which we talked about not so long ago. PayPal pl- plugin is uh, discontinued. What do we use now? I'm very disappointed that PayPal chose to discontinue the plugin. It was a great feeling to be able to pay for online purchases with their secure card without revealing my credit card and have the funds come out of my PayPal account. Is there an alternative, Gary?
1: Well, first of all, his sentiment was also expressed. As are many of these sentiments that I I choose to share from many of our listeners who commented that the PayPal plugin had discontinued, and I share the sentiment. Um, I mentioned a while ago that GoDaddy was frustrated thanks to my use of a temporary credit card number which I obtained from the PayPal plugin when I registered a domain. Um, as an uh, sort of an experimental domain a little over a year ago, when it came time to renew, they first sent me an email, and then when I didn't respond, they complained that they were unable to charge my card. And and then they did it, a few, I didn't mention it again, but they've tried several more times and complained, gee, we're unable to authorize your card. We really want to charge you for a domain that you have not authorized us to renew. So, um, so. Win. This is a plea or a question to our listeners who are spread far and wide. Um, If anyone knows of a replacement, we all want to know. I don't know of one. I know that some credit card companies themselves offer this service. Unfortunately, none that I'm using Um. and presumably none that Gary's using, uh, our our questioner and listener here. So um, if anyone knows of something like this, Uh, from some, uh, you know, accredited, reliable service, um, I'd very much like to know, and I know that our listeners would, and I will pass the news along, because this idea of a one-use credit card, it just makes so much sense.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think. I think, uh, is it American Express? One of my guys does do that, or at least used to do that. This would be a great service to offer. Yes. Um, Visa... uh, does but again it's not all visa cards i think it's just some uh visa cards so you you, you should check with your credit card
1: company oh in fact it. i'm sure because i'm a big visa user i use chase and yeah. um and yeah. a couple others and, and chase for example doesn't it's up to chase to do it
0: not visa to do it you know what correct I'm saying? uh city yeah. cards my chat room saying city cards do do this so, so if you have a city bank card i have to say it would be
1: worth moving oh it really would just for that Yes, it really would. I mean, it's such a such an advantage to be able to. I mean, and and frankly, I'd rather use my main credit card company rather than right. a third party. But but if a third party is not available, then you know, I mean, if 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 a credit card can't do it and a third party can, I'd I'd sign up for such for such a service. Right.
0: Uh, so good. So uh, at least we know Citibank does. Uh, of course, inquire before you move your tra- transfer your uh, account over there. But <laughs> make sure you qualify. Make sure yeah. you qualify. All that stuff. Great question and uh, and uh, a great point, Paul in Montreal, Quebec, with question two for you, Steve. Some troubling information about iPhone apps. Steve and Leo, he's given us a uh, a uh, link to a story in h dash online dot com, and we'll put the link in the show notes concerning Droid and iPhone apps. Actually, I should say Android, because it isn't just Droid. It's Android and iPhone apps, and how a good chunk of these free apps are conducting data collection from the devices they're installed on. I've seen this uh, uh, story talking about Android. I didn't realize iPhone did it as well. He says, I've never been an iPhone user, apart from the device being very pretty with apps to help you find your socks. (laughs) I have no urge to get one. I've always been a little put off by its lack of security and Apple's carefree attitude when it comes to security in general. Apple might dispute that, by the way. Yeah. I don't think they're carefree at all. And I do, but I do think, and I know you agree, Steve, that the next vector for malicious software is absolutely going to be portable devices. That's why this question is on our Q&A today. Yeah. So uh, this uh, study, many free iPhone apps pass device ID to the app vendor. In the Android sphere, it wasn't just the device ID. Some of them were passing GPS coordinates where, you know, to add networks, where your user is, and in theory, even phone numbers and other data, personal data.
1: Well, so this study um uh, referred to in this story echoes a number that I've seen and I've sort of let, been letting these things go by because I haven't known what to do about them and I just decided okay, you know, we ought to we ought to just take a moment to to address this this whole domain. It's it is the case that Android may be more more troublesome than iPhone. But it's also the case that uh, a, a group of researchers took a look at iPhone apps, which were asking for permission, and and selected, I think it was 30 uh, apps that looked like they may be doing communication, and only 14%, so very small number of apps, were what they called clean, meaning no communication back to the app while while you're using the app for sort of other things back to the publisher's server. So um we we've talked a little bit about this that these apps generally do ask you for permission, but they often don't tell you why they need the permission. It's not clear if you deny them permission what's going to happen. So essentially we're in a situation where um I'm afraid that we're going to be spending more time than we want to be spending in the future talking about this particular area of of application privacy vulnerability. Everyone wants to use these phones. It's all anyone's talking about. It's a super hot market. And this notion of third-party apps being added to give us additional functionality is what makes it so fun. But there, I guess the only thing we can say is... Um, and I know probably our listeners more than any others understand the inherent vulnerability of, of apps which are, by their nature, bound to a radio, which are able to communicate on the Internet and back to home base.
0: Number three, Sean in Woodside, New York, has given a lot of thought to the technical consequences of, drum roll, please, his death. Hmm. Steve, I'm trying to figure out if I'm taking trust no one too far. I've been thinking about how to make sure people have access to my online accounts in the event that I'm either incapacitated or die a horrible death in a blimp <sighs> accident over the World Series. I guess he's a blimp pilot. I think we do have several blimp pilots in the audience, actually. I guess <laughs> we will. We, we <laughs> a matter to. of fact. Um, but, you know, we should all think about this. I think about this all the time. Exactly. It's why I chose this. I think he makes some very good points. I'm a LastPass user, and I considered giving my lawyer a one-time password. But after thinking more about it, I've decided I want things to be a little more secure, and I'm taking a lesson from nuclear missile silos. (laughs) Here's the plan I'm thinking of using. Generate three one-time passwords. Select (laughs) Select three trusted family members or friends who don't know each other well. Divide and combine the passwords so any combination of two people have one complete password. For example, assume that the one-time passwords are 0123, 4567, and 89AB. Yes, I know that's really 32 characters. It's mm-hmm. just an example. First key is the first half of a password, 1, and the second half of the password, 2. So that would combine on 123 and 4567 to 0167. Second key is the first half of password two, and the second half of password one, eight, nine, two, three. Give each of the, you know, and, and on third key, anyway, you get the idea. <laughs> Mix and match. Actually, it's kind of clever, because the first key is first half of one, second half of two. Second key is first half of two, second half of three. Third key is first half of three, second half of one.
1: Yeah, so as he says, he's got three family members and he's divided the keys up so that any, any pair of those right. three right. are able to together synthesize one of those three keys. Because there's three ways of taking a right. pair of three people. Right.
0: Give each of the three trusted folks one of the new keys. Tell them to hold it until approached by my lawyer. They don't know anything else. So they by themselves don't have the information they need to re- to reconstitute a key. Give my lawyer the URL, and account name for LastPass, the list of people who have the keys and instructions on how to assemble them. Clear instructions, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Take one from column A. Of course, part of the appeal of this is to hand a friend a card with a 32-character key and say, (laughs) in the event of my death, my lawyer will reach out to you. You will need this passcode. (laughs) He just wants to say that. Most of my friends are already freaked out when I... uh, Uh, add additional authentication factors like ppp or the grid on LastPass, giving them a secret code with instructions to wait until contacted will have them thinking i'm in the cia is this too much i'd love to hear what you
1: think well it does the job i can see some problems with it well okay so stepping back a little bit from sean's details i i do think he raises a very good point yes and that is as we have, especially those of us who are tech savvy and listeners to Security Now, who are probably, if anything, overprotecting ourselves from various threats, either you know, locally physical, like with TrueCrypt, for example, or or um, using LastPass with one-time passwords and so forth. I mean, you know, we understand the world that we've created for ourselves and we're having fun securing it. But imagine I mean, really run run the scenario of you disappearing. Let's not give you a horrible death, but you disappear and and the people in your life need access to your world. I mean really how how would that be done? How would that happen if you if you use a fingerprint to access your laptop and there's information on it that would be necessary for for people you I mean you know in in your disappearance imagine that you want them to have access to these things I mean you're gone so it's it's important how does that happen and so I mean it it really in taking everything into cyberspace with and taking advantage of the uncrackable technology we have now, which, of course, was the controversy the FBI is trying to deal with here, um, you can be in a situation where you may wish that people had access to this if you're no longer able to make it happen. So I think it's worth just sort of pausing for a second and saying, you know... It's sort of the equivalent of a last will and testament, but it's how to get to the parts of my technology that I would want my family, for example, or my attorney to usefully have access to. Like, you know, bank account logons and numbers and and where stuff is and so forth, which is all locked down tight. And that's well and good as long as, you know, we're here to unlock it. But what, what about when we're not? I think for most people, it'd
0: be sufficient. The, the lawyer, look, do you trust your lawyer? Maybe a spouse, a, a close friend would be sufficient. Um, I think that's enough. <laughs> I'm gonna, I would, my it, it, Although I have to admit, I haven't done this, but it would be it would kind of behoove me to write this all up and give it to my wife and say, you know, honey, if something happens to me, and then what if the two of us die, I guess I'd have to give it to my lawyer as well to go with the, the wills that the lawyer has. That seems sufficient. I'm not worried that my spouse or my lawyers are going to break into my accounts.
1: No, and I and I think that's the proper level. Um, you know, I think Sean's having fun dividing passwords up among his friends and freaking them out. Um, but but the point is that you know, do our attorneys have this information? And my guess is most of them don't right now. Right. And and arguably, maybe they should. Yeah, they don't. I don't. I haven't. Yeah.
0: Uh, Edward Rosales in Springfield, Oregon, wonders about the security of wireless keyboards and mice. Steve, I use a wireless keyboard uh, and mouse with my Dell laptop. Just wondering if doing so creates a weakness and or security hole. By the way, I'm a licensed SpinRight user. Thanks a bunch. We talked about this uh, a while ago.
1: Well, yes, and I thought it was due for a renewal because um, it was. it's been a long time ago. What we learned was that the wireless keyboards have such weak security that essentially when you turn the keyboard on, it chooses an 8-bit byte randomly and XORs the data that's being sent with that byte. Now, what that means is an XOR, an exclusive OR operation, can it inverts specific bits of the byte. So, it is the case... That the data is not technically in the clear. It's not plain text. But boy, I mean, it would just be a fun and relatively short exercise to decrypt that stream. It would be trivial to decrypt it. You you simply take a look at the, da- at the data and begin to play some games with a pencil and paper. And you can pretty quickly figure out what those 8-bits are. So... The the encryption of wireless keyboards is virtually ineffective and it is transmitting at a distance of many meters, so you know, ten, twenty feet, enough so that it's been shown that neighbors, like you know, like apartment neighbors, somebody who shares a wall with you or a floor or a ceiling. Um, is able to receive the output of your wireless keyboard. Are they doing that? Eh, probably not. Could they do it? Absolutely. Now, a mouse is a much different proposition. It's just sending its relative movement as you move it, you know, up, down, left, right. It says, oh, I just got moved over this far or up this far or over. So there's there's really no information of the same kind that can be captured from a mouse but a keyboard is a different matter. So it, it certainly is the case that there is a security trade-off being made when, you, when your keystrokes are jumping through the air over to your computer. There is not strong encryption happening in wireless keyboards. It's almost no encryption. And so something to be aware of. Yeah.
0: And there, there are well-known attacks on this. Yes. Yes. Brian M.
1: Although I think there are encrypted keyboards was not I mean well what well, not very I well do encrypted. remember Yes there, I think I do remember that there were some that were better than others the the, the XORing is like of the, the weakest flavor right. but we I think we did hear at the time from either the chat room or some from mm-hmm. our listeners that you know there were keyboards that were doing a better job Yeah Uh Brian
0: M in Edmonton Alberta Canada says, Steve doesn't have to stop writing CryptoLink. (laughs) Oh, because there's a Canadian audience for it. Hi, Steve. I'm glad I'm not the only one losing sleep over that proposed bill in the U.S., but I don't think you need to stop writing CryptoLink because of it. In fact, you likely won't have to change much of CryptoLink in order to make it comply. Let me explain. At some point, you're going to be using symmetric crypto with symmetric keys to encipher the data. You could just encrypt the symmetric key with a special high-security Steve Gibson public key. And then include that in the stream. You won't have to shunt the traffic off to yourself. That way it requires both you and the FBI to actually grab someone's data. That is to say they can't decrypt it without a court order to you. And you can't decrypt it as you won't have a copy of the data. You wouldn't have to protect that key either as it is merely a public key and cannot be used to attack others. My understanding is that's how PGP works already. So it should be safe. Thanks for a great podcast. Yeah, PGP does some wrapper some stuff, don't, don't
1: they? Well, okay, so I'm not at all concerned about the technology of doing this. I mean, we got technology coming out of our ears. Um, a back door that, is easy. Yes, <laughs> yes, and and I argue a little bit with the pe- with the people who are against the legislation, taking the position that installing back doors weakens. You know, I'd like will be exploited by the bad guys, for example. I can definitely create a backdoor that that no bad guy can take advantage of. And in fact, I would do it exactly as Brian suggests. I would, the uh, CryptoLink, when connected, w- will use the the symmetric key, which the two instances at each end share, They use that to negotiate a so-called session key, a temporary session key, which is used just for that connection. All that has to be done is that that session key is encrypted with a public key, which is universal for CryptoLink and which only I, GRC, has the matching private key for. So that exactly as Brian suggests, if the FBI brought to me some captured traffic and a court order and and see, here's where things get really screwy, because it's like, how do I know that the traffic they captured is associated with the court order? I mean, the, the, the the practical side of this, the 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 doing this safely is so full of is so fraught with problems that it it just it goes exponential pretty quickly because then as as i've also said you know the how are they even going to know that the encrypted traffic is cryptolink there's there's it could be right. skype it could be anything anything encrypted looks like pseudo random noise so how do they know what it is if they're on the wire somewhere so there's i mean it's uh, if nothing else When this law occurs, we're going to have a field day looking at what it is that it says and and, and what it means to the industry. We can we certainly can hope that it doesn't happen. As I said, I'm I'm my fingers are crossed, but I'm less sure of that. But so it's it's not that we don't have the technology to do this. Certainly, there are ways that backdoors could be unsafely installed, but we've got, we we don't know, we're just steeped in technology that it would allow all kinds of ways for this to be done. That's not the problem. It's, you know, what does it mean for us? I mean, and do I, how do I feel ethically about having the master unlocking key? I've had people say to me since the story came out, Steve, we trust you, you know, CryptoLink's features are what we want. And if all such things have to have a key, Well, then we'd rather use yours than somebody else's. So I say, okay. well, I'll take that into consideration. Well, there's more to
0: say about it. And uh, our next email comes from Sweden. Dennis Ostergren in Karlskrona, Sweden, says, or notes, the worldview, according to the U.S. Congress, off and on during the previous years, the likes of Pirate Bay have published letters from U.S. authorities where the lawyers from the rights holders of media have stated that according to the DMCA and whatnot, they absolutely have to stop their business because they're in violation of U.S. law. Every time the same answer is given back, US law does not pertain to companies or individuals outside the U.S. Thank you very much, but go away and leave us be. One sometimes get the notion that the catches the MPAA or their attorneys, that, that catches their MPA or their attorneys off guard and by surprise. I'm sure that's not the case. It's so obvious. And yet they try. So in terms of your episode regarding encryption and the demand for installing backdoors, it's the same thing all over again. What's stopping any U.S. company from merely selling their product via any other country or registering their company elsewhere? I don't expect the big ones like Microsoft moving shop, but still, I'm absolutely sure both you and Leo know this, but it could be worth mentioning on the air. U.S. law pertains to U.S. citizens and U.S. companies alone. It's very easy to get the idea from listening to what you discussed that it has an impact on everyone. Did I miss something obvious? May I suggest you moving to Sweden? Other than that, many thank yous for everything. Longtime user of SpinWright and Constant Lurker in your newsgroups. Also, many thank yous to you for pointing me in the direction of Leo. It was your promo videos for SpinRight, visiting with Leo and Patrick, that introduced me to the world of netcasting. Regard,
1: Dennis. Well so this is the other um, comment that I've had both in our in the GRC news groups and from many of our listeners who said Steve just move. Well wow. I li- no I mean they're serious. They're saying don't you realize this is just a US law and you could just move somewhere. And someone was suggesting Aruba or something which yeah, actually sounds quite, pretty nice. Quite lovely, yeah. <laughs> Trinidad <laughs> and Tobago. <laughs> The problem is I like it where I am and I don't have to do cryptolink. I have other things I can do. Um you know Spinright could use some attention. It's been now 6 years since Spinright 6 was launched and and you know I it could use some updating and I have other ideas and and things that could keep me busy. Um you know that I would find interesting. I would love to do cryptolink. I'm hoping the law is not going to happen. But for me, moving is not an option, nor is developing a product that I cannot myself use in my own country. So, you know, someone had also said, well, you know, just make one that's only for export. It's like, well, okay, that's just not interesting to me. I know I want to be able to my friends to be able to use it and for, for me to be able to use it and, you know, all of our U.S.-based listeners to be able to use it. So... You know, I, I do recognize – I will say one thing, though, and that is that it may not be elsewhere today that a law like this exists. But the if the U.S. passes such a law in the same way that we know that the three-letter agencies are looking at what other countries are demanding from RIM and saying, hey, we want some of that too, uh, we're precedent-setting here. And it might very well be that, unfortunately, we paved the way. I mean, this is all very disturbing. Um, I would like to say it has no chance of ever happening, but I think it has a chance substantially greater than none. So we'll see.
0: Well, and I'd like to point out that, yes, the Pirate Bay thumbed their noses, thumbed their noses, and then were prosecuted by Swedish authorities, no doubt due to pressure from the United States. Yes. And... Uh, You can say, well, that U.S. laws don't apply to us, which is, of course, technically true. But uh, these content rights holders are putting pressure on every country in the world. Look at the ACTA agreement, uh, the World uh, Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO, and others. I mean, this is, you know, if you want to be a participant in the modern world, uh, you're being required to be a signatory to the WIPO treaty and pass laws in your country that duplicate American laws.
1: Yes. And the DMCA did happen specifically because of these, you know, the rights holders like the MPAA that pushed this thing through Congress. And we got a law which is so overly broad that it's being used and you might argue abused, for example, to keep professors from from being able to do research on copy protection. Right. Yeah. Precisely. Bad laws do happen.
0: Yeah. And they affect everybody globally. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Steve could pretend he's in Aruba, but that's not a solution.
1: Maybe I could get some palm trees in the back here.
0: <laughs> well, Slysoft, which is a company that uh, sells, uh, a commercial company that sells commercially available in the U.S. DVD uh, breaking software, is illegal in the U.S., but they operate, a tr- I think, out a Trinidad and Tobago. And uh, so, there you go. Uh, and S-, uh, S. Jeff and six is saying the Pirate Bay was not taken down before Swedish law was changed. But that's the point is it starts here and it spreads like like yeah. a virus, like a bad idea. Griffin, Columbus, Missouri, shares his take on encryption backdoors. Question seven. I just watched the Twit TV Security Now edition 268. You mentioned the new proposed law might not allow point to point encrypted traffic. Forcing encrypted traffic through an encryption vendor's server isn't necessary, I think, for the government to achieve achieve real-time wiretapping. I suspect the government intends to obtain the encrypted traffic as it goes through each ISP's servers or routers. By the way, most ISPs already are collecting this data for the government. Or maybe somewhere on an Internet backbone. Also require the encryption software vendor to provide some master key or other means to allow the government to decrypt the messages in real time. That's the back door. This wouldn't require, for example, Skype or crypto links point-to-point encryption to go through a central server somewhere. Even point-to-point messages already go through a relatively small number of internet backbones, where the wiretapping could occur, or maybe already occurs. Wouldn't it? that? And that is one of the objections: is well, you've got to change the entire way Skype works.
1: But yes, is that true? Well, that the 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 story that was written, and of course, you know, we don't have a law yet. We don't have we don't have final text of one, as far as I know, but but uh, first of all again i chose this one because many people made the comment and i've i've read this from people responding many times so this so this is the third of our of our trio that sort of represent a consensus of of opinion and feedback from this and um so there's two points um what what was specifically addressed was the the nature of peer to peer communications meaning point-to-point, where no third party is involved with the traffic. Skype was highlighted or mentioned specifically because we know that Skype's technology is a point-to-point encrypted stream. You and I right now are talking with Skype, and there's a, a, a flow of encrypted UDP packets directly between our two endpoints, so it's certainly true that it is you know i'm I'm using bandwidth, which i uh, purchased from Cogent, which peers with level three you're using bandwidth that appears with your i s p so it's true that there are locations on the net where this communication that we're having is available virtually, you know, all the routers. I think there's 13 routers between you and me, Leo. So, you know, any of them uh, represent access points. But my reading of what was said indicated that re-architecting this kind of communication was what this law would require. That is, so that somehow the FBI doesn't have to go to like an ISP in order to get this, but is able to somehow present me with a court order saying that they want wiretap access to a given person's, a given customer of mine's use of my product. Hmm. That's what I, that's the way I read this. And frankly, I don't know how to do that. Right. I mean, I, I literally, well, I, I can't. There's, there. I mean, the, the architecture doesn't provide it. So, I mean, uh, certainly there will be. I hope there will be. You know, Senate meetings where, where representatives of Skype and other high-profile companies sit down and explain to the senators or the representatives, you know with diagrams that are really clear just, that this is just not a matter of flipping a switch and yes we would like to comply if you know like with the FBI's well-meaning and understandable need to have access to our um to our our technology it just i, I just don't know how to how to make that happen
0: somebody's pointing out it puts your life at risk if the bad guys say we'd like to know what uh, this poison is saying and they come to you. They don't need a subpoena. They need a brick. Yeah. And that's not good either. Let's not forget that.
1: Yeah. I'm going to take a break on that lovely note. <laughs> anyway, so this is the last we're going to talk about it. And it's. We, I think we've we've beaten this thing to death knowing as little as we know about what we're ultimately going to have and the way it's going to work. So... I don't want our listeners to worry that this is going to be a constant theme. We'll probably come back to it early next year if the legislation happens right. or, 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 or doesn't. Right. But, uh, you know, I, just, I, did, I did want to follow up because many people had similar thoughts about, you know, uh, here's things, here's workarounds, and um, we'll just have to see what we end up with.
0: Before we get to uh, our next question, including our 16-year-old up-and-comer of the week, I want to talk about my good friend Tom Johnson and his company, MailRoute, because I've been using MailRoute for six years. We've got Tom on MailRoute. Now Tom Merritt's on MailRoute. He has a domain Subbrilliant. I noticed he hasn't used it for a while because he said it got so spammed up he couldn't use it. He was gonna you know, he has subbrilliant.net for friends and family to have their own addresses. I use Leoville.com and my whole family and uh not just my uh, immediate family, but my extended family all has Leoville.com addresses. And uh so we, So I, what I've done since, since 2004, I changed the MX record on my site to point to MailRoute. MailRoute gets all my stuff, cleans it up, and sends it back to Leoville where my family and friends and everybody get nice, clean, spam-free email. They use some really sophisticated stuff like graylisting. Uh, just some really uh, 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 just high end stuff to do accomplish two things now I, and I know you know as we said uh, at the beginning of the episode, uh, maybe we didn 't we were saying enough of the air I think um, if you use Gmail, you know you get great anti spam filtering a lot of people using online accounts are get, are getting fine, and they don 't need a spam solution you don 't see as many sold these days this isn 't for individuals yet. I suspect Tom might find a way to make this possible, but for people who have domains or who do their own email, companies that do their own email for privacy reasons, they don't want it to go through Google, maybe you're an attorney, a healthcare professional, MailRoute is a great solution for you. I want you to go to MailRoute.info to learn more and find out how you can save 10% for life. $2 per seat per account, I think it's a $20 minimum, but Tom can walk you all through it. He'll talk about the technology, too. I mean, lots of really sophisticated stuff that doesn't. Now, I, I, you know, somebody's asking about reverse DNS. I've had all sorts of problems with bad reverse DNS solutions. MailRoute is, you know, it just works. It's silent. It hums in the background. 96.8% of all my email over the last 12 months, literally a million messages were spam. And I never saw them. I, they never hit my server. I never had to deal with them. Once in a while, like once every three or four months, just, you know, for kicks, I go and I look at the spam store because it does store everything it blocks on the mail route servers. And I'm always, you know, like, well, there's <laughs> that's right. None of this is anything I want. Tom has two really good high prior- priorities, zero false positives, a high rate of rejection of spam, very effective spam filtering, and a high rate of availability, uptime of 99.99%. In fact, so high... That if your server goes down, which mine does from time to time for various reasons, he does he does uh what does he call it? He has a he has a great name for it. I can see if I can find it. Mailbagging. He holds on to your mail and then delivers it in a very clever, controlled fashion when your server comes back so you never miss a thing. Twit viewers and listeners, ten percent off for the life of your account. This is not for everyone. If you're an individual and you're using Gmail, you probably don't need it. If you're running your own servers, you do need this. MailRoute.info to find out more, and uh, tip of the hat to Tom. I've been I've been I've been trying to get Tom on the Twit Network for a long time because I just really like what he does, and he's been so great. It's to, it's such a boon to me. Let me know if you want us. Is somebody beeping at you? Yeah, sorry. Nah. Let me know if you want to. I don't know what you do for spam on uh, GRC. You probably have your own hand coded spam solution. What do you do?
1: Um, we don't have any spam.
0: Oh, I know what you do.
1: (laughs) Keep Uh, it to yourself. Yeah, I'm not going to say what you do.
0: It's not a practical solution for most people. No, it's not. It's very effective, and I would do it. It involves, well, I could say this, changing addresses all the time. Yeah, exactly. That's not giving anything away. No. But but I'm not going to, I can't do that. (laughs) So for people like me who actually have to give out my email address in public, you got to have something, and this does a great job. Also, you do not let HTML mail through. No, maybe you do. Yep. you do. You do. No, we have no filter. For a while, you did that. Correct. But that has a, cons- a high consequence as well. It's really tricky to get rid of spam and not re- get rid of the good stuff. And this is where Tom, this is all he does. He sold his company to Microsoft. You may have heard of it. It's called FrontBridge. Now Microsoft calls it Microsoft Exchange Hosted Services. And uh, that was some years ago when he, when he sold that company. He's been doing mail route ever since. Great guy uh Let's get on with the questions. And I think where are we now? Are we at to seven? No, we're to eight. Yep. Oliver Stengele or Stengle, in Heidelberg, Germany, says, "Welcome to the rest of the world with COICA." The C O I C A. We talked about this last week. Stephen Leo, as it is common for the listenership of your podcast, I'm a computer science student in Germany. And I'm here to bring you bad news and more bad news. The idea behind Kauaika, the government-controlled internet censorship via DNS blacklists, that's not new. Not long ago, we had the exact same brain-dead proposition in our political organs. They called it, now let me see if I can get my German together, because this is one of those omnibus words that the Germans love to make. Zugangserschwerungsgesetz. Access Complication Law. <laughs> this is a literal translation. It was headed by Ursula, Zen Ursula von der Leyden and uh, reasoned with the killer argument of fighting. They always bring, the, they always truck this one out, child pornography. You yeah. watch. It'll be brought out again because n- nobody can stand up and say, well, I'm, I'm for child pornography. You got to say, I, of course I'm not for child pornography. Long story short, the whole thing went through and is currently in effect in Germany i I would like to point this out that i we take full blame in the u s for this because the what they do, what the record industry motion picture industry do, is they try this out outside the u s they this is what ACTA is all about is to get it passed across the world so that the u s. Congress has no choice but to ratify yep and uh, and so it's a very backdoor way of sneaking this through the u s. He says, well, not quite, because a short time after the proposition became law, some politicians realized what they had done, and due to an incredibly huge public opposition, which peaked with an online petition to the German Bundestag with 134,000 supporters, the largest petition to this day, they delayed the censoring part of the law, but did not cancel the whole thing. The details are mostly disturbing, but one thing is clear. It is a huge mess, and guess what? Not long after Zen Ursula, a member of the European Parliament named Cecilia Maelstrom, got hooked on the same thing, this time for the entire European Union. I do not need to repeat the reasons against Internet censorship. You and Leo named quite a few in your recent episode. But seeing now that even the U.S. is no longer safe from this Pandora's box really bothers me. If COICA gets through, by the way, tabled for now, it will become a shining example for all those countries that want to implement... Internet censorship in the future. A very scary prospect, in my opinion. I just hope the land of unlimited possibilities does not become the land of impossible limitations. Oh, so well said. Best regards. Keep up security now in GRC. We really need you these days, Oliver. Oliver, what a what a great... I like that. I want to say that one more time. I just hope the land of unlimited possibilities does not become the land of impossible limitations. <sighs>
1: wouldn't wouldn't it be sad if we are looking back decades from now at an internet which is fully censored and where encrypted communications is no longer um, uh, safe from random people who are prying it'll be sad
0: yeah no kidding by the yeah. way, for our Swedish correspondent, uh, Cecilia Malmström, Swedish. So there. <laughs> it's, it, these ideas uh, spread. And I have to say, I, I think we in the U.S. should take blame because most of these content companies are U.S. companies. That's who really is promoting this agenda. Chris Ackerman in uh, Kortenberg, Belgium, reminds us of Reindahl's 10th birthday. Steve, on October 2nd, 2000, the Reindahl cipher was announced as the winner of the contest the National Institute for Standards, NIST, held in their search for a cipher for AES. At least that's what I'm reading in the press today. No one has come close to cracking Reindahl in the 10 years that have passed despite full publication of the algorithm. I thought it would be fitting to remember this occasion on Security Now in times when governments no longer seem to be in favor of true Security disclaimer I am a Belgian. Ask Leo why that matters. Well, Frederic's Belgian, maybe that's why. I don't know. I love Belgians, <laughs> I don't
1: know. great. Well, beer. and I think
0: the, the, the
1: Rheindahl designers were. Oh, Rheindahl's probably de-
0: Belgian, of course. Yeah, I really enjoy listening to Security Now. It's one of the few places I know of where things are actually explained. That's true. We we hope we pull no punches in our quest for true geek. We keep
1: the propellers spinning. Yes, thank you, Leo and Steve. So I did want to acknowledge. Um, you know, I've talked about uh, with regard to the the crypto problem that it's math. I mean, we have now the math required and a and a full understanding of how to do unbreakable crypto, and it is it is. Again, an understandable dilemma that that states, as in governments, have a problem with the fact that they're not able to police and monitor what the bad guys are doing. but And that as more communications is done digitally rather than in the analog world, this math, which is all it is, can be applied to communications in order to prevent it from, from being intercepted and understood while it's in flight. This is just the way the world is. And, and I love the Reindahl cipher. We did an entire episode on it where we dissected it and looked exactly at how it operates and how clean and simple and beautiful and pure it is. I mean, it's just, it's just a spectacular piece of, of math. And we're as as Chris says, we're not close. I mean, it, it's withstood um, a decade now of of scrutiny. It is the basis for most new crypto that is done because we all know we can rely on it, um, and it's not going away. I mean, it just it's 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 happened. There's it's existed now long enough that. Open source software has incorporated it. Nobody has to be smart in order to be able to use this uncrackable crypto. It's just available. So I, I know the the best thing that could happen, I think, when, when this law is up for consideration next year, is that people make the point that, yes, a huge a huge problem could be created by legitimate publishers of software like myself and and Skype and you know anyone else doing a VPN if a law required that that a third party be able to intercept that communication a, a tremendous inconvenience would be created yet virtually no change in in access to any communications that that anyone was determined not to have eavesdroppable on because that technology is out there it's, it's now out in the public domain Rindal, Rindall, rah,
0: rah rah, <laughs> and for people who uh, are wondering it's R-I-J-N-D-A-E-L okay <laughs> it's definitely Belgian it's not just Belgian, it's Flemish R I. If you're going to Google it, I, I bet you. I should try this. I bet you, if you typed Rhindall in any kind of anglicization of it, like R H I N E D O L L,
1: it would say, "Did you mean?" No. Well, well, and I do remember in the early papers that were written before when when it was first appearing, they would they would sh- they would spell it correctly, and then parens, it said R H I N E hyphen D O L L. As in Ryan dahl How to pronounce it, Ryan dahl To tell you exactly how to say it.
0: R-I-J-N-D-A-E-L, Ryan dahl And I know how to pronounce it only because of one thing, you, Steve Gibson. Finally, our up-and-comer of the week. Alec Thompson from British Columbia writes, Dear Steve, he's 16. I was listening to your recent uh, podcast, episode two sixty seven. I was really enjoying listening to the response from seventeen year old J R Hallman. I'd like to make a sort of shout out here that I hope you'll mention on my sh- on the uh, show. I'm sixteen myself, and so far I've learned a variety of skills: C, PHP, Python, XHTML, MySQL, and even recently assembler.
1: Yay! Yay!
0: My personal inspiration came from a site called. Hell, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd even want to visit this site. Hellhoundhackers.org. I like Hellbound. it. Hellbound. Oh, good. <laughs> Only slightly less bad. That's better. Hellboundhackers.org. Don't be thrown by the name. The site is full of supporters for ethical hacking. Good. I like hackers. Hackers are it, man. And the majority of the site's users are younger than 25. That's why Hellbound attracts them. Actually, you know, if you look at it, uh, this is a very typical kind of site for hackers where it's very focused on content and text, a lot of forums, a lot of information. looks really great. Um, Together, we have a pretty strong bank of knowledge, and I thought I'd mention this in hopes to inspire other kids my age into learning programming skills. Henry, I'm looking at you, my son. The site teaches the ins and outs of how to break into sites. (laughs) <laughs> i love it that but they, it's that it's attractive to kids they want the henry's yeah, ask me yeah, exactly. can i learn how to hack i will send him to hell bound hackers um and, but the reason they say is so you yourself can learn how to keep malicious hackers out writing secure code as you would uh, know very important stuff and i figured mm-hmm. you might be interested in passing along the link to everybody whether you're under 25 or not there's probably something for everyone to learn i'm gonna thank you alec i'm gonna check it out thanks Stephen. keep up the great
1: work well so I just wanted to acknowledge Alec. We did hear from J.R. Hallman, whose site we brought to its knees oh, sorry. by mentioning his his CryptScript site last week, or I guess maybe the week before. Um uh so we got a nice note back from him. And I just wanted to say I think it's great that young people are listening to the podcast and uh, again, to encourage people just to get out there and do stuff. This is great. It's, because, uh, they, you know,
0: it's the future. They have simulated security challenges, so you can really test your chops here.
1: Very this cool. This is
0: great. Boy, you know what? I want to check that out. That looks like a great site. Steve, we have completed our uh, 10 our mission. fabulous questions and your 10 fabulous answers. Once again... Um, if you want to know more about Steve's work, you go to his website. You'll find out a ton of stuff there, grc.com. You can follow Steve on Twitter too. He is sggrc. He is, uh do you still uh, do updates on the iPad or pad stuff cuz you know I think there's a lot of new stuff to talk about.
1: I haven't um except um initially there's for me, I mean I'm I'm a daily pad user. I absolutely love it, but I haven't really run across anything that uh that I thought was um significant enough. So yeah, it's just sort of a quiet account.
0: Yeah. Well, it's going to get active. Microsoft just announced they're shipping Windows 7 tablets by the end of the year. Mm. Uh, SG Pad, that's that one. And then uh, for the official corporate account of the Gibson Research Corporation, just at Gibson Research, Steve also sells a very fine, must-have hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, which we talk about every week. I hope you have a copy. right. you can get that directly from GRC.com. And it it's custom-built... And hyper secure e commerce system. You'll also find there lots of free stuff like Shields Up and uh, CryptoLink will be there someday, maybe. God and Yay. Congress willing. Yes. GRC.com. Go to grc.com slash feedback if you want to leave a question for our next feedback episode. And you also, by the way, at uh, grc.com slash security now, find 16 kilobit as well as the full, full flavor of this show and uh, transcripts from Elaine so you can read along in all the show notes. That's grc.com. We do this show. You can watch it live every every week at live.twit.tv at 11 a.m. Pacific. That's 2 p.m. Eastern, 1800 UTC, live.twit.tv. You can chat along uh, as we go. You hear me from time to time mention the chat room. That's irc.twit.tv. Uh, and uh, I think that's it. Boy, you you covered all the bases. All the bases, dude. You covered all you you covered all the bases. Steve Gibson, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week on Security Now.
1: Talk to you then, Leo. Thanks.